episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray. I'm the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church here in central Pennsylvania, Paxanos, uh, Pennsylvania, to be precise. Uh, it is so good to uh, be with you again. Uh, another week, another uh, edition of Pastor Brad's Corner. Uh, a little space on the podcast, Ministry Minded, which I tried to devote to uh, just some extra reflection, extra sort of meditation, just chewing on some things that I've been uh, pondering, uh, not only in my sermons, but just elsewhere, and then also kind of expanding on maybe perhaps some of the ideas that uh, I was uh, led to uh, deliver and preach. And so, uh, anyways, uh, we just tried to uh, spend some time just kind of chewing on stuff here um, and just see what we can learn, see what we can kind of flesh out a little bit more. It's, uh, uh, you know, uh, I do a lot of studying for my sermons, as I'm sure any pastor uh, does, uh, doing lots of reading, lots of uh, writing uh, as well. And there's a lot more that ends up getting left out of a sermon than is often included in there. And I think that's some of the, some of the discernment uh, that comes from writing sermons, as I have learned over the years, uh, yeah, I'm only only a year into uh, se- full-time senior pastoral ministry, but I've been writing sermons and preaching sermons for a long time. Uh, but regardless, uh, one of the things you do learn is just <laughs> how to cut out stuff that is perhaps unnecessary or perhaps that doesn't really have to belong in terms of what you're what you've been led by the Spirit to. Uh, sort of focus on the, and I think that comes from that just comes from time, that comes from practice, that comes from repetition. Is learning what you can can kind of skip over. Uh, not every single detail has to be in every single sermon, every single time that you preach that passage. Um, you know, you can preach the same text a couple different ways, um, and the Lord will uh, lay something different on your heart. Uh, Maybe each time that you do it, making it uh, distinct each time that you are able to deliver that sermon, or at least uh, to to sermonize that particular text or what have you. So uh, I just find it really interesting to see what gets left out. I've had, uh, most of the times it's quotes. So when I'm doing my studying and I'm doing my reading, uh, I'll just be writing down quotes. Actually, I have a, I'm not going to call it elaborate because I don't think it's that elaborate, but I just have a lot of notes in uh, my Apple Notes app. And so each time I'm reading a book, I have the Apple Notes app out. And every single time I come across a quote I want to remember, I'll make sure to have that quote uh, transcribed there. And usually when I'm doing that for sermons, I do the same thing Um and I'll transcribe a quote and and just keep this list of them that I really love that have really affected me. And usually those are the things that end up getting cut. Those are the things that end up not not always making it, uh, so to speak, in terms of uh, the finished sermon. And I think that's a good thing. Um, uh, I'll tell you, um, I'm kind of getting off topic, but this is okay. It's just coming into my head right now. So <laughs> um, when I was a younger preacher, uh, and some of you will likely laugh because, you know, I'm still a young guy, but when I was uh, more of a new preacher, so to speak, I remember filling my sermons with 
just an incredible amount of quotes from different theologians, different writers that I was uh, reading, and, and passages from their books that were I thought were really incredibly affecting, and I'm sure that they were. Uh, but sometimes it's it's hard to just just pepper your sermon with with quotes and have it really be effective. One of the things I've really come to learn in this first year of ministry, and I think I've mentioned this before, um, but I'll just reiterate it again, is just learning to learning to trust that the Spirit of God wants to speak through me. And I don't mean that in a very prideful way. Um, I don't mean to sort of put myself on a pedestal. But I do think one of the things that young guys learn, and I'm concluding myself in that, is this, I, and, I, and I pray I continue to learn it, is that there is a time in which we need to stand on the shoulders of theologians, pastors, churchmen that have gone before us. Um but there's also a tendency that young guys have to sort of, if they want to emphasize a point in their sermon, let me just put in a quote from an old dead guy, and that will really emphasize it. That'll really, here, I'm not just making this up, here's a quote from an old dead guy, and he says the same thing. And I've noticed that I've had that tendency too. Uh, you know, I can just, if I want to really prove a, a point in my sermon, let me just quote Spurgeon. <laughs> I'm sure that there's a quote on from Spurgeon on whatever particular passage that I'm I'm preaching on, and I'm sure I can get a quote out of him that can really prove the point I'm making. Um, and yeah, that's kind of reductive, and I think that's kind of the point, that we uh, are sort of cherry-picking these passages from old theologians to sort of prove the point that we're making, when perhaps, number one, that's not really the point that they were perhaps making, but also number two, um, I think that it also negates sort of the—maybe this will sound too strong, but I almost think it sort of negates how you can be led by the Spirit. And what I mean by that is— yeah, Spurgeon quoted a lot of people too, but it, I think, obviously, Spurgeon trusted in the Holy Spirit to guide him and how he composed his sermons and how he delivered them as well. Um, and so I think that that same mentality um, ought to be applied to young pastors. Um, and I'm just thinking aloud here, but, but I really do believe that. You know, um, I, I not, I'm not saying that I'm a Spurgeon. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that uh, I'm going to have some sort of ministry like he does. You know, if the Lord wills, uh, I would love to have uh, have the success in ministry that he did, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not jockeying for that. All I'm saying is, trust the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Uh, I've been really moved by that um, in the last year, uh, especially, uh, not just to rely on old commentaries and old theologians, or even new commentaries and new theologians. Um, read the Word, get in the Word, and trust the Word to speak through me. Um, I always pray before... Uh, I love... Um, uh, I love the elders in my church and the deacons who come around me and support me, but one of the things I love is that the elders and I will gather at the front of the church in, the, in a small room at the front of my sanctuary, at the, at, at the front of the sanctuary of my church, and uh, we'll gather up there sort of during the prelude time, and we'll spend a little, little time in prayer. But one of the things I always pray, uh, and, and again, I don't mean this hot, to be haughty, but I always pray, Lord, speak through me and let let your words 
be the words that come out of my mouth. And let me not speak anything that I've just kind of made up. And I mean that in a very um, pointed way um, that I, I don't want to just be up there on a soapbox sort of rambling. Uh, I don't want to be up there trying to give my own view on some sort of thing, on some sort of issue or whatever. I want the text to drive me. I want the text to drive the words that I say. I want the text to drive uh, the sermons that I deliver and the topics that I cover. Um, this is one of the reasons, again, why I'm not very much of a topical preacher, um, because I've really been stubborn with the fact that the text of Scripture drives the topic that I cover. Uh, I don't cherry-pick passages out of the Bible to make sure I can cover a specific topic. Uh, I'm I'm striving to be expository in that way, and at least in how I understand expositional preaching. Um, and I, I pray that that's what honors God. And I think that also, too, it, it, it helps to um, trust that the Spirit will speak through you as you are praying to uh, deliver the word in a way that affects men's souls. And that's what I pray. I pray that the, that the Spirit will work through me and uh, that He will use me in a way that uh, will uh, bring men to salvation, bring men and women to their knees knowing that they are sinners and that there's a Savior. Um, <laughs> I say all that to say uh, that often there's a lot of stuff that I leave out. Um, and usually nowadays it's quotes. And so anyways, I say all that to say um, that I really enjoy uh, these Pastor Brad's Corners editions of the podcast in which I can, you know, share some more things, uh, share some more insights uh, from sermons that I don't always get to include. Um, and with that, uh, this past Sunday, I was able to preach twice again. Uh, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to uh, stand in a pulpit and preach and to deliver God's Word and sermon. I, I really enjoy the sermon writing process. That's one of my, uh, just, I, I enjoy that process. And uh, I I continued in Sunday morning, uh, of course. I'm continuing through a series on um, the book of Ecclesiastes. I've entitled it Vanity versus Eternity. Really, what I think is happening throughout the book is just that. We're getting insights into Solomon's diary, so to speak, is is how I always often view uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're seeing a dichotomy come about in terms of what life is lived for. Uh, life, everyone can't escape the reality that life is a vapor, but there is some meaning to be found uh, when life is lived in light of eternal purposes and eternal um, glory. And so in light of that, so I, I took uh, I took the church, uh, I took Stonington Baptist Church uh, through the first chapter, all the eight, all 18 verses of chapter one, just talking about how there's some sort of gloomy ideas that Solomon covers. Um, in effect, <laughs> uh, just a fair warning, if you read Ecclesiastes, it will seem a little bit uh, fatalistic. Uh, a little bit Epicurean, uh, and that's really not the point. Uh, he's describing reality uh, in a very real and a very honest way, and he's doing so, I think, for a particular purpose, to show that we have a wrong view of life in terms of we can get something out of it by our effort, energy, success, achievement, all those sorts of things. And he's saying, well... 
not really. <laughs> uh, no, you really can't. Uh, he says that, you know, if you try to live for a legacy, people are going to forget you. If you try to live for, excuse me, if you try to live for always chasing something new, you're never going to find something that fulfills you. If you're trying to live um, for uh, just uh, chasing anything that you want, uh, you're going to find out that you have really strict limits with which you have to come to grips with. And I think one of the things that I've just really been affected by, um, and I'm going to put this in the, in the notes to this show, um, is Zach Eswine's book, Rediscovering Eden. Uh, he, he, it's sort of like a devotional commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it, I would highly recommend it. If you're interested in reading about Ecclesiastes, I'll, I'll put all the books that I've read uh, for my Ecclesiastes study uh, and a book I'm, I'm reading right now. I'm actually just, I just finished Douglas Wilson's Joy at the End of the Tether, uh, and I'm re actually reading right now David Gibson's Living Life Backward. Uh, I'll put all the links to those books if you are interested in reading them, and you can kind of get a feel for perhaps what I'm reading, what I'm studying. Um, and uh, But anyways, so Zach S talks about the realities with that the preacher Solomon speaks to and all of them are uh, or the, excuse me the reality is that all of the uh, endeavors all of the ends to which man pursues are ends that he thinks he strives to uh, by which to fill his soul. Zach Eswine says this, we are a soul-starved people scavenging for emotional and rational leftovers, searching for a reason, a purpose, a point to it all, attempting to finally arrive. And that's where we were talking about last week, um, or we're talking about this week, the arrival fallacy. Um, there's a great Mockingbird article where I got this quote from uh, about the arrival fallacy that I put in my sermon. Uh, I'm going to link it because, to me, uh, David Zoll was writing, and he was quoting a couple of the people, but Dave Zoll, my good buddy at Mockingbird, is writing about this idea, uh, what what other experts have called the arrival fallacy, which we would just call being covetous or perhaps just being dissatisfied. But it's this idea that I will be happy once I have blank, or I will be happy once I achieve blank. And how often have you said that? That's one of the chief things that I was just confronted by when I was studying this first chapter is that uh, he talks about how the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing, and he's talking about there's no new thing that can satisfy. And yet, how often are we are we sort of lionizing these new things, and we're saying, look, this new thing, this will satisfy me. I mean, this is this is the sort of whole um, operative framework by which the technology industry runs. <laughs> uh, you have an iPhone 7, guess what? Your life will not be satisfied until you have an iPhone 8. And then uh, when that's done, it's the iPhone uh, X or the iPhone XR or whatever. And, and all that to say, there's uh, this sort of drive that we have to finally, quote, arrive is... A fallacy. It's, it's an erroneous argument. You're never going to find something here on earth uh, by which you can say, now I have arrived. I have achieved fulfillment. I have achieved what I've been looking for. Um, there's never a point to that. Uh, there's never a point in which that comes about. 
uh, and one of the main points I strove to make in my sermon was, do not exhaust your life trying to manufacture an eternal legacy with temporal materials. And I would say, do not try to exhaust your life trying to manufacture everlasting joy with temporal or trivial uh, enjoyments. Um, it's just, it's not going to happen. It's its not designed to happen. These things wear out. They have time limits. They have... Um, they have an expiration dates, uh, and, and that leaves us starving uh, in our souls, uh, going back to that S-Wine quote. We're trying to quench the, the hunger and thirst of the soul with food of this world that doesn't really satisfy, with pleasures of this world that are fleeting, that only last for a little while. Um, again, uh, as I said in my sermon, it's a remix of Genesis 3. It's a remixture of, I can be my own God, I can make my own joy, I can make my own meaning and purpose, and and um, and I can make my own uh, pleasures, and all those sorts of things that man strives to live for. And actually, we can't. Uh, that's frustrating. Uh, it's frustrating to realize that the things that we live for um, are going to wear out. It's frustrating to realize even more than that, that, that the legacy that we think that we're leaving is one that we can't even control. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a couple of chapters later. I think it's in chapter 4. I think it's in chapter 4 um, or 6. I, I forget. Um, but anyways, he's talking about how the rich man can't control what's done with his inheritance after he's gone. The legacy that we leave is out of our control completely. As hard as we exhaust ourselves, we will often be misremembered uh, on, we'll be misremembered. We won't be really remembered how we wanted to be, perhaps. And and that's even if we're remembered at all. Um, most of the time, what he talks about in, the ch- in this first chapter is that generations come and go. And as he says in verse 11 of chapter one, there is no remembrance of the former things. We just forget we fall out of memory, and the things that we strive for, the things that we live for and die for, literally, in this world, is are, are things that are as transient as sand on the seashore. Uh, and that was, that was the crux of my sermon, um, that if you're building your life on things under the sun, to use Solomon's sort of uh, phrase there, that's like trying to build a castle with sand by the sea, which, as you might recall, uh, Jesus himself says is the most unwise thing that you can do. Um, And I think (laughs) I could not help but read this chapter and think of that passage from Matthew 7 where he's talking about the wise man building his house upon the rock and the and the unwise man the foolish man building his house upon the sand and no maybe I don't think that Jesus was thinking about Ecclesiastes but there's a there's a due correlation there um, in which this whole thing in which we strive we, we are striving to find something here that's everlasting and really what we're doing we're gripping at sand and the tighter we grip sand the faster it crumbles the faster it slips between our fingers and I think that um, in that way, um, 
Jesus's passage in Matthew 7 is very much uh, one that helps to explain and understand what Solomon is getting after. But uh, that was my sermon on Sunday. It was a joy to study and preach. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, preaching or or studying through this again. Um, And studying through, uh, I think, what uh, is very much um, indicative of all of human nature. Um, and it's we're trying to recover uh, what we had back in Eden, even if we wouldn't admit that. Uh, Charles Bridges, in his wonderful commentary on Ecclesiastes, says, fallen man of himself cannot recover one atom of his former perfection. And yet that doesn't stop us from trying. That doesn't stop us from attempting to uh, do that by pursuing all the different pursuits that we pursue, uh, all the different ends that we strive to, uh, that we pretend will fill us and uh, fulfill us. Um, uh, but I, I challenge you to listen to that sermon. The link is in the notes. You can find it at Stonington Baptist. Uh, you can go to anchor.fm slash stonington-baptist. Uh, I will make sure to put a link to the sermons uh, in the notes below. Um and then on Sunday night, uh, though, well, actually, before we get there, before Sunday night, let me uh, let me just take a moment and uh, share a word from our sponsor. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. But on with the rest of the show, uh, on Sunday night, uh, I was able to preach from 1 Kings chapter 19, in which I was striving to um, talk about the life of Elijah. Um, and not, not his entire life, but this, that really important moment that happens between, uh, first Kings 18 and first Kings 19. Uh, and there's a really important turn that happens as you turn the page from first Kings 18 to 19, you find out that this prophet who seemed impervious, who seemed to have no weakness was, um, actually just human after all. Uh, so in 1 Kings 18, of course, we have that infamous account in which Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and he's just basically embarrassing uh, the prophets of Baal. And then in uh, 1 Kings 19, we find that he has uh, really lost his 
heart for the things of God, and now he's on the run. And in fact, in verse 4, I think it is, of 1 Kings 19, he prays, uh, God, just end my life. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything. Everyone's left me. I'm the only one that, everyone's abandoned you, uh, and I'm the only one that's left. And it's fascinating to me what the stroke of disappointment can do. And so that was really the thrust of my sermon, is talking about this theme of disappointment. And I think what I found is that there's a lot that we can learn from Elijah, of course, but uh, there's a lot that I think that we can apply from Elijah's life, even into our modern-day ministerial context. And that's what I think is most uh, sort of powerful for me, Um, disappointment. What is it? I, I, I eventually sort of defined it as this. Disappointment is the feeling we get when we no longer bow to the God of all things and instead start to bow to the God of results. And what I meant by that is that instead of uh, putting ourselves, humbling ourselves under the sovereignty of God, not only sovereignty of the moment, but the sovereignty, but sovereignty over the outcome, uh, when we no longer are putting ourselves under that sort of umbrella, so to speak, and we start to instead uh, believe that the results that we want are within our grasp, are within our hands, that we can achieve them, or we expect God to come through, um, we're going to be disappointed because we're trusting in a result, in an outcome that we haven't been guaranteed. Uh, the promise of God is to walk by faith, not by sight, not to trust in demonstrable, demonstrable, boisterous, booming, ballooning numbers and results, but to trust in his sovereignty and to be faithful, knowing that every step of the way he is in control. He has his hands in every single facet of human life. Um, and I think what we see with Elijah is that's precisely what he was doing. He had seen this incredible moment on the summit of Mount Carmel, and he had seen the very, very noticeable, very demonstrable, if I can use that word again, result of God's divine hand in uh, the thrashing, so to speak, of the prophets of Baal. And I think what Elijah's problem was, so to speak, his issue was, was in thinking that that was God's uh, sort of normative framework, operative procedure in how he deals with man. And instead, there's a lot of sort of unmiraculousness to God. And that's really what we get. If you read verses 15 through 18, I think that's what you're getting. You're getting God's voice coming to Elijah and reminding him, hey, there's a lot of like unmiraculous stuff that needs to be done. But guess what? It needs to be done because uh, this is uh, my will for you. And it's not always going to look, um, you know, as flashy as what you experienced on Mount Carmel. It's not going to appear as glamorous, but this is part of God's call. And I think what then what we see in the life of Elijah is a return, is a lesson about how we can be faithful in ministry. Um, and this is my the, the thing that I've been thinking over. Faithfulness in ministry, but also faithfulness in life, is primarily seen in a dogged determination for the things of God, regardless of the results that we see or don't see. 
And I mean that very truthfully. Um, and I don't mean to say that if we're not getting results that, you know, we're not doing something wrong or maybe we should change how, how we're going about uh, what we're doing for the things of God. I think there's uh, perhaps some wise discernment that we can have there in terms of like, hey, maybe we should change things up if something's not working ministerially. However, if all we are doing is chasing after numbers, chasing after stats, chasing after demonstrable results, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be uh, discouraged. Why? Because faithfulness is, is never defined by results. It's defined by steadiness. It's defined by determination. It's defined by a grace to understand that regardless of the effort that we exert, the results are out of our hands. They are out of our control. If you're looking for a profitable career with a really, um, uh, really large return on investment, I would have to say that the gospel is not your best career choice because there are... Uh, there is not always going to be a moment when you can say, "Look at the uh, look at the return on the investment I made for the things of God." Um, maybe you will. Maybe you'll see an incredible revival happen. Maybe you'll lead countless people to the Lord. And I pray, uh, I pray that for my own ministry. But what I pray more than anything else is that God keeps me faithful, even if I don't see that. Even if he it doesn't bring about a ministry career again that looks like Spurgeon. If I, to circle back to that uh, a topic earlier, uh, even if that doesn't happen, uh, I, God is still good and His word is still true, uh, and the things of God are true whether we see the demonstrable results or not. Um, God is present with us. And I think that that's a hard lesson to learn because I, more than anyone else, want to see some incredible moment that I can be a part of and say, look at what God did. But also I know that he doesn't always work that way. He doesn't always work through the fires of Mount Carmel. Sometimes, as Elijah had to learn, he works through the still small voice he works through the little things, through the small things, through the things that we don't expect, through the uh, instances that we are often uh, quick to um, gloss over, quick to, quick to skip, quick to pretend don't really matter. He works through those small moments. And I think that that's what I learned through Elijah is um, a lesson of faithfulness, a lesson of, you know what? God is interested, more interested in my faithfulness than in chasing results, than in chasing uh, uh, big uh, numbers and things like that. And I think that's a lesson that I, I pray that I, I never get over, that I never uh, stop learning. Um, and I think that will uh, free me from uh, li living a life that is perpetually disappointed. It'll, it'll free me to live a life... Um, uh, fulfilled, knowing that God has the results in his own uh, hands, in his own timing. Um, 
so I, I pray that that encourages you. Uh, I was really encouraged studying through the book of, uh, or through these two chapters in First Kings, and uh, I, I love the life of Elijah. And uh, I, I'm, I was actually moved, actually, in studying it. This is actually not really a part of this study, but uh, I think one of my next sermon series, and I'm barely into my sermon series on Ecclesiastes, but I'm thinking about the next one. I think I'm going to go through... Um, the books of First and Second Samuel, and just invest myself into some of the history and uh, of these guys, the kings that are, that are mentioned in there, and sort of the moments that uh, really define uh, a lot of those narrative passages. But, anyways, um, I pray that you're encouraged by that. Um, this week has been a doozy of a week for me. Uh, I started back into seminary this week, so I'm attending Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm in another semester. I'm pursuing an MDiv, and uh, this semester I'm uh, spending the entire one in the Old Testament, so I'm doing both of the survey classes. Uh, the first half I'm doing, of course, the first half of the Old Testament, and the second half of the semester will be uh, the second half of the Old Testament, and so uh, I've been really busy. You, I'm trying to... I'm, I'm going to wait and kind of see how it goes in terms of like the blog and stuff. Um, you'll, you'll always get sermon, uh, sermon posts, uh, that'll always be there throughout the week. Um, I'm going to see how the writing goes. Um, and I'm going to see how the podcasting goes. I, it'll be harder to do some interviews and stuff like that. I ha I have some that I want to do and I think, uh, it'll be really fun to, to do some interviews coming up, but, uh, you can always be sure that, uh, I'm going to try and I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best. I, I, I can't promise anything, <laughs> but I'm going to try and do my best to keep this, uh, this edition of the podcast up and running. I enjoy coming, uh, in, uh, coming to you and just, uh, talking out loud. I enjoy the, the time that I get to just kind of speak out loud and to kind of um, share what's on my heart and to uh, just uh, hopefully you can find some encouragement in that. So anyways, I pray that you'll pray for me uh, this semester as I continue studying and continue striving to uh, be um, a discerning uh, man of God and minister of the word. Uh, but anyways, thanks so much for listening. This has been the Ministry Minded Podcast. I hope you've been blessed uh, by this episode. You can subscribe to it on Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on Google Podcasts. And there's a ton of links in the notes where you can find those uh, subscription services. Uh, I appreciate all of your encouragement, your prayers, and your support. So thanks so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings. Blessings.